When you're a boundary boss, you are literally the one determining your reality. You set people straight when they feel like I did something for you in 1978, like one little teeny thing, and now you owe me for the rest of your life. You go, oh, hey, man, what happened in 1978 is this, and we're even. Welcome back to Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Woohoo! Megs, you always crush that intro. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> you really do. I think you're the only one who doesn't stumble on their words there. I think so, so too. All right, Heidi here. Super excited to intro our second repeat guest ever, my pal and boundary ninja. Terry Cole. Terry is a licensed psychotherapist and global relationship and empowerment expert. For over two decades, Terry has worked with a diverse group of clients that includes everyone from stay-at-home moms to celebrities and Fortune 500 CEOs. She has a gift for making complex psychological concepts accessible and actionable so that clients and students achieve sustainable change. Terry inspires over 250,000 people weekly through her blog, social media platforms, signature courses, and her popular podcast, The Terry Cole Show, which I am a super fan of. And now Terry is finally delivering her boundary wisdom in her first book, Boundary Boss, available April 20th. That's tomorrow. And we couldn't be more excited to have her back on the show chatting all about it. So we're super excited to dive a little deeper. But first, Jamie, what did you have for our weekly catch up? Well, I thought it was quite apropos that since we are talking to Terry, I wanted to bring this one up. Guys, let's talk boundary wins or disasters. What has come up for you? I want to hear real life experiences. Spill the tea. Uh, Well, I actually had a boundary win today. So I am, thanks, Terry, because I would have zero without Terry, by the way, this is Heidi. Um, So I am horrible at asking people to do things that I think they should just do on their own, right? Like that's like one of my, other than finally working up the courage to set a boundary because they're super hard for me because I had no boundaries in childhood, like I wasn't allowed any. So it's been a big work in progress ever since I met Terry working on boundaries. So when I finally managed to set a boundary and then somebody says, okay, and then ignores it or goes back on it, I want to like crawl up and die in a black hole. Like, I don't want anything to do with it. I feel like I have exerted a Herculean effort to get the boundary out. And then it was like, spit on, you know? So today, and listen, let me preface this by saying I am super fortunate to work super hard and be able to afford a cleaning person who comes into my home on a weekly basis. But I was very clear that she needed to wear a mask while she was here in COVID. When I go into my client's home, I wear a mask the whole time and I'm doing yoga with them. Okay. So I don't want to hear any of this other stuff about it. And I walked in to talk to her and her mask was under her nose. And at first I like ignored it and like got bright red, probably like I am now just thinking about it. And I walked away and I was like, why isn't she wearing a mask? I told her she had to wear a mask. And then I like took a deep breath. I was like, Heidi, grow up. (laughs) I walked back and I was like, Hey, can you just put that 
mask over your nose, please. Cause you know, it doesn't really do anything if it's below the nose. And I, you know, tried to make it light and funny. She was like, Oh, Oh yeah. Sorry. And she pulled it up. And for me, that was a massive boundary win. I know it may sound tiny and ridiculous to many of our listeners, but as somebody who has such a hard time asking for what I want or need, that was a massive accomplishment for me. And wouldn't have been able to do it without working with Terry. So thanks Terry. <laughs> Well, that really reminds me of what I was going to say, because like, it's actually not the one I was going to bring up, but it really reminds me of something that I probably would be, it would probably be a better one for me to to touch on, although I'm blowing up my husband's spot. So sorry, George, but um, George, and we've talked about it a million times, so I'm sure he would be fine with me um, exploring it with you guys, but he has uh, a history. And I think this is pretty common with men. I have to guess he traditionally is not the one to talk to our child care provider. So this is a similar, you know, like that's usually my relationship, my communication relationship to have just because we, we have our lanes and I tend to do that communicating. So he, um, and he did this with our last nanny too. If he has something that he wants her to do differently or do something different with our child or pick up something after the kids, he tends to wait until she's gone. And then blow up at me about it. And I'm like, my love, have you asked her to do it? And he's like, well, no. And it sounds very similar, Heidi, to what you uh, are saying. Because if you don't ever tell somebody what you want them to do, how can you sit in anger over them not doing it? Like, perhaps they just didn't know. And for him, I realized with our last child care provider, although she was wonderful, it caused almost four years of resentment between him and her because he almost never said anything. So this time around, we've been able to take some learnings and say, wow, a really better way to do things is just say, hey, would you do this a little different? And they're almost always happy to. So that's a really good one, Heidi. Thanks for reminding me of that. Jamie, that reminds me, same thing. I'm going to talk about John, but this is something he did more when we first met and I was baffled by it. I could not figure it out. I think it's just because it's his personality. He just does not... He doesn't like to upset the apple cart <laughs> at all. He just, he would rather just at all be happy, happy. He's a Libra. He's, he's wonderful and he has to put up with me. So thank goodness we balance each other out. Anyway, in the beginning of our relationship, he'd be meeting me for dinner and he like, he wasn't that hungry or whatever. And I'm like, what, what, you know, it's, it's not early. Like, what did you, you have for lunch? What'd you do? He would book dinners. Like he didn't want to say no to anybody. So he would say yes to this couple. Yes to that couple. And then meet me for my date. And I'm like, how many dinners did you have tonight? So he would just say, he's the yes man. And he's, it's wonderful. He's wonderful. He'll do anything. He will eat, eat eight dinners if he has to. But over time, I was like, John, if you're just honest with people, they're not going to get mad, like go for a drink or just if you're too busy, what was happening was he was starting to become late for meetings or cancel on other people last minute because he just doesn't like to say no up front. So there's something to be said about standing your ground and saying, oh, look, I have this plan or this isn't going to work out or whatever it is. But I mean, he he's he meant he came from a good place. I think, Christine, you're setting like when you do that, you're setting yourself up for, for other failings down the line. Like it, it's very similar to, um, to me and George, sometimes we'll try to be people pleasers and he'll say like this morning, I'm going to blow up his spot. I hope he doesn't listen to this episode. He probably will. This will be the one episode he listens That's okay. to. Alex freaked out on me about our, he finally listened to our one year anniversary one last night. And he was oh, like, thanks for telling everyone. I'm like, I tell that story all the time. Shut it. <laughs> oh yeah. You told everyone he was drunk. That's right. <laughs> God bless Alex. But you know, um, Love you, babe. <laughs> This morning, of course, George said, uh, 
I, you know, I was like, do you mind if I get my cardio in early? I really have a packed day, but I really want to work out. And of course, his first answer is always, yes, absolutely. Take your time. Well, then I walked up from doing the elliptical and I got side eye like he wanted to murder me because probably the kids were difficult and probably this and that. But like, don't people please and say yes, if then the other person's going to hear about it later. This is where people who don't know how to set boundaries and Terry, I'm sure you'll I mean, I'm sure you have a lot to say about this. Like they set themselves up for resentments on both sides, I feel. It's true. What you guys are saying, though, is so it's so each one of you is sharing this incredibly common experience that we have. And yet the real thing that matters is that we want to have less pain, less constriction, less resentment, less suffering, and less misunderstandings in all areas of our lives. And when you actually master the art of boundaries, what you're really doing is you're mastering the art of communication. You're mastering the art of your own feelings, right? So we start with that part where you can't communicate what you don't know until the thing that's happening is not your preference. And then you're like, you should have known. I want to be like, you didn't even know. What do you mean? (laughs) How should that person have known when you didn't even know? And changing our minds about the, the myths around boundaries, because the myths are like, to be a boundary boss, I need to be bitchy. I need to be mean. I need to be rejecting. I'm confronting people all over town if I do that, right? Uh, no. Actually, any kind of a master, any kind of a boss, you can do all of this with ease, with grace, with love, when appropriate, not always appropriate, but with the people we love, yeah, Um and so I think that the we start with the miscommunication and the misunderstandings because you you guys are all sharing the results like of dysfunctional boundaries created this result of resentment, this result of misunderstanding, this result of being misunderstood. And you were even saying, Jim, that you're feeling misled almost like, go get your cardio. It's amazing. I support you. And then... The, the chill. And you're like, oh, listen, Bo, you, you can't be the nicest dude on the planet. And then passively, aggressively express your displeasure, even with a side eye, like, like, no, either say, hey, yes, you can do it early, but only do half because I wanted to or whatever, Wh- whatever the thing is, we can find a compromise, but we won't find a compromise unless whether it be George, whether it be whoever, whoever it is, tells the truth about how they feel. And a lot of what you're describing with being the go-between, right? Being the one who, Jamie, you were saying, you know, I, I have those conversations. I think that it's an important distinction in relationships to make that in long-term relationships, sometimes you have one part of the skill set. Your partner has a skill set. Okay, so they do those things. You do these things. But if we're really looking at Oh, the gender normative, quote unquote, like like what would be traditional gender roles, moms generally are doing a lot more of the emotional labor, the invisible work, the keeping the ship afloat. And this is really a boundary dysfunction. There, There is a disorder in that because if you're not the one doing all of the friggin' emotional labor, you have no idea how exhausting it is. And then I wonder why, I don't wonder why, I know why I have clients coming in being like, I have it all. I have a good 
person. I have, I'm financially stable. Kids are on track to, you know, do whatever they want them to do, go to the right schools. I don't have to worry about cash. Why do I feel so empty or annoyable? Like, why do I just feel like everyone in my house is annoying? They're literally, legitimately more annoying than they were a year ago, <laughs> right? I'm like, I don't know that that's true. Annoyable. Did you coin that word? Why do I feel so annoyable? <laughs> I like it. I don't, I don't know if I coined it, but I do say it like because it. it's different than being annoyed. You're like prime. Yes, I love the distinction. Right. The editor in me loves the distinction. <laughs> like you can't wait to be annoyed. <laughs> but I also just say, Terry, I really hope that you're recording your audiobook because I find so your voice so calming. I find I'm like being lulled into I can't run with this show because I am now so calm. Guys, if you haven't listened to Terry's audio guided meditations, they're I mean, you can only imagine. Uh, I know. I, I do so too. It was all of a sudden, everything just went. Oh, oh wait! Before we get Whatever before we get too yes. deep, should we introduce the topic? <laughs> I feel like we've already launched into it, and we're so yes. in it. But but let yeah. me just introduce the topic. Okay, okay. So, in our new COVID work from home reality, boundaries are more important than ever. Boundaries? What boundaries? Exactly, because we all need help here, and we're bringing back the Boundary Ninja herself, psychotherapist Terry Cole. Yay! In her new book, Boundary Boss, which, by the way, I love that title, um, releasing April 20th, Terry reaches a specific set of skills that can help us stop abandoning ourselves for the sake of others without guilt or drama and consciously become empowered in every aspect of our emotional, physical, personal, and professional lives. Yes, please. Most of us were never taught how to effectively express our preferences, desires, or deal breakers. Instead, we hide our feelings behind passive aggressive behavior, deny our own truths, or push our emotions down until we get depressed or so frustrated that we explode, potentially destroying hard-won trust in relationships. In order to avoid all that unpleasantry and live our best lives, we need to know how can we become boundary bosses too? Terry? I'm going to let you take it from here. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Woo-hoo. Let's start with that you all can, that, that anyone can, and that it really is about just a desire because the premise of the book and what I've been teaching for many, many years and two and a half decades in the trenches with my therapy clients is that all you need is a great coach, that's me, and the desire to change something, because this is not something I want all of you to think about. Becoming masterful at boundaries is very much like becoming fluent in a language. So you wouldn't expect to like cross your fingers or pray hard enough to become fluent in Mandarin, would you? Of course not. And so when people, my clients would feel bad, like, you know, I'm just weak or I'm just something, what's wrong with me? Why am I in this situation again, the same situation? I'm like, listen, You don't have to feel bad. Nobody taught you. And as being raised as women, we not only did people not teach us how to effectively share our preferences, desires, right? Our limits, our deal breakers. We were raised and praised for not having them. We were literally raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents. Most of us be a good girl, 
turn that frown around. Like, I don't care how you really feel. Just be smile and be nice. Kids should be seen and not heard. Don't be a drama queen, right? We don't, we're, we look at it. Like if I assert myself, they're going to, the people I work with, they're going to say, I'm a bitch. The people I work with, they're going to say, I'm hysterical. They're going to say, oh, I must be on the rag. I mean, think about it. I could keep going as to all of the ways that society is like, this is your place. So get clear about your box, where you're supposed to stay. And the reality is that nobody can create a fulfilling and satisfying life experience without mastering the art of boundaries, because it takes so much energy to have dysfunctional boundaries, to communicate indirectly, to all of the sarcasm, the the passive aggressive expression of stuff, whether it's coming at us, as some of you guys were talking about, or whether it's coming from us, what it isn't is effective, right? That's what it isn't. It takes so much more bandwidth to, well, they, they know I was mad. They know, trust me, it, it got icy in there. They, they know, you know, what though, pal, they don't know why you were mad. They don't know exactly the problem and why she's like, I, I had one of my clients who used to love to say, Oh, listen, I hinted. Why are you hinting? Why? That's so like 1970. Why are you hinting? What? Is, what? I don't even get it. How about just friggin' say it, whatever the it is. Now, I'm not saying that's so easy, but you have to know it to say it. So we start from the, the process of how do we even know what boundaries we need? Do any of you guys have any thoughts about that? That's what I was wondering, because I think maybe part of the problem, too, is we don't know what we want. We're not specific about what we need. And if we're not clear, it's impossible to start to establish any kind of boundaries. Yes. Totes. And Megs, Heidi, I just want to tack on to that. We also don't know necessarily what we're like, quote, I'm doing air quotes, entitled to, to hop and piggyback yeah. off of what Megan just said. Because some, I think a lot of the time we feel like, I can't ask for that. I'm not, I can't Mm -hmm. put that boundary up, you know? So let's start with how do we know? You can start with how you feel. So it's always, there'll always be some physical indication that a boundary has been crossed or a need is not being met. So as soon as you start feeling annoyed, (laughs) uh, constricted, as soon as you want to, in your mind or in real life, you want to start like talking shit about someone to someone else where you're like, friggin' Betty, why the hell doesn't Betty? She's so entitled. I can't believe she would ask me to do that. We get so mad where it's like, it's funny. I was talking to Kate, you guys know Kate Northup, I think one of, one of my girlfriends. So we were talking the other day, we were doing a live about boundaries about the book. And she was, I didn't even remember this. She was like, Terry, do you remember 15 years ago, we were walking in the West Village and I was going off about this person who I couldn't believe how ballsy they were, that they asked me to do this thing and how entitled they were. And I had already done so much for them. And that you turned to me and said, wow, I can't believe the nerve of Betty making you so uncomfortable that you have to simply say no. And I was like, 15 years ago, I said that. First of all, it wasn't very nice, but okay, it's true. She's like, no, Tara, it's true. Why was I, I couldn't stop ragging on Betty for having the nerve to ask when the reality is I was so mad that she was putting me in the position to have to set a limit. I was so mad. I was blaming and judging her rather than just going, okay, well, how am I going to say it? I don't want to do it. It is my right to not do it. 
But that's a cool gut check. I think that's a very helpful gut check. The second you find yourself talking smack about someone, it's because you didn't set a boundary. I, I think that could be a very helpful litmus test for oh, people. I, I do too. Or a need isn't being met and they're similar, but different. So we'll just say that they can be in the same category though. So why don't we, what, you know what I think would be really helpful, you guys? Well, I'm going to finish what, what I want to finish what Heidi was asking. And then I think we should go over the boundary bill of rights because it will literally hits every single area where we will have lots of questions. I feel like it's a great way to go. Before that anyway, though, ba- yeah. I have a question about like, what if, where you said like sometimes you're saying it behind someone's back or something like that, but maybe do you find that people sometimes think that they did in their minds say something because they got it off their chest by saying it to somebody else? Like, Oh, I can't stand Betty or, you know, why the heck did this, this, and this. So they think they're doing something proactive about it and they're, they feel better, but at the same time, you're still not really resolving the problem, I guess. Right. Such a great point. Because what ends up happening is you're discharging the emotion that you need to drive the boundary drawing behavior, the the talking true conversation. When we discharge it by talking shit about that person to someone else, we now are cleared of that feeling for the moment. Then the next time Betty does that same thing, we're going to be triply as activated by it because we didn't resolve it. We just like moved it aside by talking to someone else about it. So, and let's make the distinction that talking shit about someone is one thing. Talking to a friend about an upsetting interaction with someone else, someone you, you trust where you go, like, what would you do? I just really feel like I, I don't know how to handle this. I'm not talking about productive conversation. We all know gossiping is one thing. Talking shit is one thing. And real conversation about actual situations is another But when you want to gossip, when you really want to be like, you're not going to believe what Betty did, that's when you know some boundary, something has happened in there. And that's actually the perfect moment to pause and go, okay, well, what is my side of the street in this interaction with Betty? Because every interaction in every relationship is 50% and 50%. Like that's all it can be. So maybe you can focus on Betty's side of the street. Like, wow, she's got some big ovaries asking me that if you want to. Not that helpful, but you could. Or you can focus on your side of the street, which is what am I going to do? Because the truth, the, the universal truth, people can and will ask you to do the most ridiculous shit, the most ridiculous inappropriate, entitled. There will be the people you give an inch and they will take a billion miles if you let them, right? Is that a boundary destroyer? You talk about that in your book and I love we make that the dis- In the book, I make the distinction between, I give you all of the proactive boundary success plans, but, but first we go all the way down into the basement of your life, basically, which is your unconscious mind. And I guide you the whole way, of course, because the book is very much about the reader. I'm literally giving you, it's not a, it's not a uh, book with like theories and shit, you know, where you're, I mean, of course it has theories, but it's not just that. Cause who cares? You're like, yeah, I get it. That's a great theory. But how does that theory change my life? How does that theory lessen my suffering is pretty much what every reader wants to know. Everybody wants to know. That's what I want to know. So in the book, every single thing I teach, there's a spot that says back to you. And then there's an actual exercise. So there's an exercise that you can do. Part of it is the psychological exercise right then and there. All right, bring to mind the people who 
after you spend time with them, you're friggin' exhausted. Okay, so now we're starting to get, ooh, bring to mind the people who, after you spend time with them, you feel energized and filled up. Oh, good to know. So we're taking an inventory. Then there's actually more extensive exercises in the back of the book and at the end of the chapter. So people can go as light or as deep as they want, but the entire book is focused on the reader and the reader's experience. So yes, of course, I tell a little bit about my story of like, why should you believe me? But that's it. The setup for the book is learning. So lay it out for us. What are the, what, what are the, you called it the boundary commandments or the tenants? What yeah. rules? Well, actually let's do, we'll do the, we'll do the boundary bill of, boundary bill of rights. Boundary bill of rights. Bill of rights. That's and we got that. So let's do now. that. And then I'll go back to knowing what your rights are. But this, this leads into what you had asked about before, Heidi. So you have the right to say no or yes to others without feeling guilty. So just let that land because guilt is such a huge um, boundary block (laughs) because we don't want to feel guilty, but we'd rather feel annoyed or angry or put out because that is somehow less ego dystonic, right? Like it's, we we don't mind seeing ourselves that way, you know? Well, what if you're like all of us here on the zoom and you are just that type a person that you might not want to do the thing, but then once someone asks you to do the thing, you beat yourself up about it because you wanted to do that thing and check it off. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but it's like, you now, now you're going to do that thing, whether you think it's right or wrong. You're the type of personality that, Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I don't know if I'm cutting the cutting to, you know, in your order of what you want to explain, but that's no, a question. Doesn't, okay. It doesn't matter. I could talk about anything, but the reality that is a codependent response. Okay. You feel overly responsible for the feeling states, the decisions and the circumstances, the outcomes of the people in your life. Like, even if you know it's not your responsibility, if you still take that on, even though you don't want to, because you're like, but I just need to check the bucks. That's you. And you got to work on your codependency because knowing what is your side of the street and not your side of the street, that is how we're, we are not codependently attached in our relationships where we go. That person can ask us what you're really talking about, Christine, is you're saying, I'm going, I'm allowing the other person's reality to dominate my own. They think I should. Now I'm now I think I should, even though if I really were being honest with myself, I know I'm not obligated to do this. So the fear of being like, when you're a boundary boss, you are literally the one determining your reality. You set people straight when they feel like I did something for you in 1978, like one little teeny thing. And now you owe me for the rest of your life. You go, oh, hey, man, what happened in 1978 is this and we're even. So and if you did it so that I'd owe you, then you did it for the wrong reasons in 1978. And I don't owe you shit. So see ya or whatever. Nicer than that. Not so much Jersey, but I'm just saying you you get the the way of talking true, which is part of the subtitle of the book, so that someone else's reality isn't instantly more important or more valid than your own perception of reality. Make sense? So what else is on the bill? Okay. I love it. Megan's like, I'm back to it. Um, yep. Um, you have the right to make mistakes, to course correct, or to change your mind. Ah. Yeah. Anyone have a problem with that? We all do. I'm an expert mistake maker. Uh, me too. We talked about that, Terry. I I'm, I'm, have no problem being awful. Because sometimes I'm awesome. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and you can become awesome. How, how do we become awesome? We got to let ourselves be awful sometimes. Um, okay. You have the right to negotiate for your preferences, your desires, and your needs. 
you have the right to express and honor all of your feelings if you so choose. So you're not obligated to express all of your feelings. You're not obligated to be vulnerable to people who are not trustworthy. You're not obligated to answer a friggin' intrusive question because someone is morbidly curious about your life or the death of someone close to you or why the hell you don't eat wheat, right? You are not obligated to answer anyone's question if you don't want to. Okay. You have the right to express an honor or where already did that. You have the right to voice your opinion, even if others disagree. You have the right to be treated with respect, consideration, and care. You have the right to determine who has the privilege of being in your life. So we all got to get rocking our VIP section with the realization that you're the bouncer. You got the list. You're the only one. And so if all these entitled people, you just let them walk in and plop on down in your VIP section, then you're twisting yourself up in a pretzel for people simply because they're related to you, simply because they think you should. So your VIP section, which is the whole part of the book that we do, where you get to, you get to make the determination of what relationships feed you. And this doesn't mean that you're not, you're, you, you cut off contact with your third cousin. It just means she shouldn't have a 24-hour backstage past your friggin' life if you don't want her to, if she's not adding value to you, if she is not, the relationship isn't mutual. You know, it's like, oh, you have to invite your cousin to your thing because she's going to feel terrible if you don't. Like the guilt that family can put on you. How are you going to feel? If you invite your cousin to your girl's trip because your mother guilted you to do it, you're going to not feel good. But these situations happen all the time. This episode of Off the Gram is brought to you by Bright Cellars, a wine club that lets you skip the store and brings personalized wines right to your door. Bright Cellars is offering you 50% off your first six bottle box by going to brightcellars.com backslash off the gram. All you have to do is take their 30-second quiz, and they will pair you with six unique and personalized wines. Plus, they have wine education cards, so you can learn all about the wines and know what food pairs well with your wine. Perfect for a date night or for bringing the right bottle of wine to a get-together. This is especially helpful for someone like me. I don't always know how to choose wine or, for that matter, remember what wines I like. So this is the perfect way for me to expand and explore different flavors and pairings. For our listeners, we are giving you 50% off your first six bottle orders from Bright Sellers. Go to brightsellers.com backslash off the gram. That's Bright Sellers, B-R-I-G-H-T-C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com backslash off the gram and take their seven question quiz to get your wine matches and receive a limited time offer of 50% off your first six bottle order. So Terry... Is there like a secret sauce to this, like a way to do it with radical kindness or something that so you can be the boss lady in charge of your life, but not necessarily be a, I don't want to say without being like, you know, without being a bitch. Like, is there, is there a a graceful way to do this or a secret to really taking charge and being a boundary boss, but also being kind? That's the whole thing I teach in the book is that you can always do it with kindness, with ease and grace. But what you're really looking for, what most people are really looking for is that I want to do it and I want everyone to still approve of me. Well, that I can't teach you how to do because I don't know. Like you're going to 
set a limit with someone and they're not going to like it. And that can't mean that you go back on the limit if it matters to you. So you can always, and actually think about it. Is it not the most loving thing to do to let the people in your life know who you actually are? Because when you're saying yes, when you really want to say no, and then you end up bitter, is that loving? No. It's like we've been conditioned to be like, niceness is the most important virtue that ever existed for women. All we, we just want everyone to think about how friggin' nice we are. No, because the, the truth is saying yes when you want to say no is not not only not nice, it's misleading. It's also how will anyone ever know who you are? Right. If we're always agreeing to things, if we're not being clear because we're constantly trying to avoid a confrontation or avoid disappointing others, what ends up happening in our lives is that we are, you know, we're disappointed with our life. My dog agrees. Uh, That's right. And I can't really shut him up. So Dempsey, uh, I think the kids might be home from school and he totally agrees with you. You know, I think that Dempsey is a boundary boss. That's my feeling. He's just like, right. Well, and I I also like to think about what I always say is how I reframe it for myself is I think of saying no as a form of self-care. And I'm like, you know, I could go for a manicure or I could say no. And it's it's something that makes me feel like I'm taking care of myself and just empowering myself by thinking of it that way has been very helpful. Oh, you absolutely are. This is a question from Heidi. I have worked very hard on boundaries in the past several years, and I got to a place where I finally started setting them, which was, again, Herculean effort for me, and got to a place where I felt like I wasn't like, you know, burning down the house, setting a boundary anymore. (laughs) And then there are people in my life who do remind me of what you call a boundary destroyer. And how do you, how do you deal with them? Like when you have firmly, kindly, repeatedly set a boundary, reminded them of the boundary, they agreed to the boundary. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I forgot. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. I forgot. How do you handle those people? Well, I mean, listen, that, that is, you know, we have variations of boundary bullies and then like the real bad ones are the boundary destroyers where there has to be consequences. So what we end up doing is when we start being more honest, let's, let's take it from what kind of where Megan left it off with, how do we do it with ease and grace? Well, you, we start with low priority people and we start being honest about small things, more honest we start actually caring about our own preferences and not in the way, because I know all of you ladies, I know you ladies know your preferences. I know that you work to meet those things, but I'm talking about your preferences in relation to other people, right? In, in the things that you want, your preferences, your desires, limits, your deal breakers in, in all of our relationships. Um, so we start small, but it's really good to start with lower priority people, because we start practicing. If you go get your color done and it's not what you want, do you tell the truth? Or you're like, oh, it'll grow out fine. Like, because you don't want to hurt the feelings of your hair person um, because, or you don't want them to retaliate or whatever, whatever the fear is. Uh, well, that's the thing. People just don't want a conflict, but why does that have to be a bad word? Why not just assume that your hair person wants you to love your hair And when they go, what do you think? You go, you know, I actually think it's a little dark. Can we add a few more highlights? Even if you know it means more work, even if you know it means they're going to have to like redo something. If that is how you feel and you're paying money for a service, why are we more concerned about the person than actually doing them a favor where you could walk away happy with what you have? 
anyway, I digress. <laughs> in the long run, we're hi- we're helping them too, sort of in the long run, whether it's your hair or the hairdresser or whatever, they're going to learn something from it because they might not have a clue that they were doing something yes. wrong in the first place. And, and, and maybe they weren't doing something wrong. It just wasn't what you wanted. And you saying that, then they go, oh, maybe other people want that too. So you're right, Christine, it might, it might be something like that can help as well. So moving into how we start to draw boundaries is easy breezy, right? I'd like to make a simple request. That's a really easy line that you can, you can ask anyone to do anything. So the lady with the mask, oh, hey, Betty, because everyone's Betty to me that I talk about. Um, I'd like to make a simple request that you wear the mask up here. That's it. Because you know what? It is a simple request. You can say it smiling. Like you said, it's not it, it, these things are not a big deal, but it is monumental inside of you when it's hard to do it and you do it. And it feels so good to decide that you will prioritize how you feel, that it matters to you. So in a way, drawing boundaries, it's almost like we want other people to make us a priority and make us feel important in life. And when you really start caring about what you want, and not being so afraid of having the quote unquote a confrontation, because the more you do it, the less of a confrontation any of this is. This becomes normalized. This becomes your new normal to be able to say, stop, stop affirming how easy breezy you are, how you don't care about anything, how everything is fine. No muss, no fuss or whatever. I mean, do, do you know, are you guys like this or do you know women who are? I'm not like that. <laughs> I know plenty of people like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, look, and I think there's a spectrum and I think we all have our moments. And I think the other thing probably that I'm hearing like Heidi from you, because I, I struggle with it too, is like, we also want it to be one and done and it doesn't work like that. It's so dynamic. And the same way that we act and behave different on different days. So do other people. And I shared something in a show recently with these girls about my own father and it's fine because he doesn't listen to our show because he doesn't know how to listen to podcasts. So God bless him. If you want to listen, dad, that's great. But I know you're not. So I can talk about this. So my my dad was always a really hard figure in my life. He's he's a challenging guy, you know, um, uh, things changed for me when I started to be able to see him in his own humanness and just having character defects, just like me. And it was from doing a lot of work in recovery circles and learning a lot of also Al-Anon language, which was very helpful for me about detaching with love and things of that nature. So I spent a lot of time detaching with love. In other words, I just couldn't have all of that Mishigas in my, sorry, that's like a Yiddish word. I couldn't have all, all of the, the chaos in my environment, it was a little bit too rattling for me. Um, and maybe for him too, you know, like I just, so I detached with love. Now it doesn't mean I don't call him. I do. I didn't have to cut him out of my life and I don't need to be dramatic about it. And I don't even particularly need to tell him. However, in my, because it's not about him, it's about me. So I don't need to tell him and I don't need to expect him to actually stick to any boundary because I know he can't, he won't, you know, I've been expecting him to do something different for the last 40 years and he didn't. So eventually after 40 years, it's like on me to do something different. So for me, I just changed the nature of how I view that. So I still call him. I'm still kind. My kids still speak to him. I love him, but I don't love all of the drama that sometimes those conversations bring in. So I'm very controlled about how much I let it kind of come in and where I let the conversations go. And one of my sisters, 
who may or may not listen to this show, but she knows, again, this is something I think that when you talk about it, like, and have those productive conversations with family members, like you were mentioning, Terry, we've talked about it before her and I, she tends to feel very attached because she feels badly for him and some of his, you know, uniqueness and character defects and some of the things that keep him sick, you know, in his own, in his own mental unwellness at times. Um, but she's too, she feels bad. And so she just, she goes back for more and she goes back for more. But what ends up happening is they hang out and they both leave crying. <laughs> they hang out and there's yelling and it's like, well, I don't know that that's better. I don't know that that's better. So I kind of feel like where I've come in my own life, which is just um, kind of like a sensibility of detaching with love feels really comfortable for me. And it doesn't even really need to be confrontational because I don't, he doesn't even really need to know that that's what I'm doing. You know, I don't have to go to him and say, I've been doing a lot of work on my emotions. Like he doesn't care. He, I just need to, for myself, like step right. back. It's, but what you're describing though, is that you created an appropriate emotional boundary in your relationship with your father. So you could still be in touch with him so that you could still enjoy him without not enjoying him. So you will be healthy boundaries. Let you be at the distance where you're allowed to take care of yourself first, because that's your job. You're the only one who can do that. And you don't have to cut off because you stepped back enough to be like, this is a safe distance. Cool. So you really did. You're really talking about those are emotional boundaries and right on because that does take a lot of work to get to, you know, um, all right, let me finish the bill of rights. So we're done with this. Um, you have the right to communicate your boundaries, limits, and deal breakers. You have the right to prioritize your self care without feeling selfish, which I think is a big one for women. And the last is you have the right to talk true, be seen and live free. I want to go back to the thing that Heidi had said though quickly about what do you do with pe- someone who's a repeat offender? What do you do when you've drawn the boundary? When they say they got it, when they're like, yeah, okay, cool, I agree. Okay, and then they come back and the same thing happens. So when you're first learning to draw boundaries with the people who are already in your life, we do something that's called a proactive boundary success plan where you know them. So we don't just, there's no like one size fits all with relationships and boundaries. You go, oh, I know what happens when I talk to this one about this and I'm going to take into consideration my history with this person, the way that they are, what I think they're capable of. And then we come up with the plan. What, what is the simple request that we're making around their behavior, around whatever the thing is? Now, you, we, you know, we have first timers, which are people you've never actually used the words that I can make a simple request with. And then we have the repeat offenders. So this is what Heidi's talking about. Repeat offenders, you have clearly drawn the boundary. They have clearly stepped over it again and again and again. With a regular repeat offender who's not a boundary destroyer, you have to add a consequence, Right. So it's not enough to just draw the boundary. So anyone who thinks any of this stuff is one and done, of course, that's not happening. It's you, we, a lot of times you have to do it again and again because our relationships are a dance. And when we change the steps, people notice and they're like, hey, I do this and you do that. Why are you not doing that now? I don't get it. They're trying to get you on the dance floor because that's what's comfortable. And this is the way that you've interacted. So the consequence, we have to do something that's appropriate. Hey, we've already talked about this. So, you know, I I asked you if you were going to be late to let me know. If you're late again for dinner and you don't let me know, I'm just putting the food away and you can get it yourself when you get home or whatever. I mean, that sounds like a very, you know, like like a, a light situation. But with couples, any situation that's repeated, 
so much of the time we have repeating fights about the dumbest crap because it's really not about the dumbest crap. There's some other frustration that's happening. Something else is going on underneath that we're like playing out in this. Well, of course, you're going to be like that about this because you're always blah, 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 whatever. Like everyone has their thing. Just trust me, every couple, even super healthy couples, you find yourself, you're like, how are we fighting about the same dumb shit? I don't get it. But you, once you attach a consequence, then you have to be willing to actually follow through. So nothing like um, destroys your own boundaries more than giving someone an ultimatum or stating a consequence. If it happens again and you don't call me, I'll put the food away. You, you got to do the thing you said you're going to do, whatever it is. And it's like parenting. It sounds it's, like setting yeah, limits with just, toddlers. It's parenting. Yes. If I say I'm going to no play date, you can't have the play date, even though I really want you to. So it's actually blowing exactly. my mind. Oh, they would love to keep you busy for an hour. <laughs> no, but that's exactly right. That it, it's about behavioral patterns in the same way. What I'm going to ask you, Hyde, to think about is the same way that you would never expect your children to have mastered please them, thank you. You're like, I told you that last Tuesday. Why don't you get it? Hello. I already told you, you have to say, please. We, you're so rude. We exactly. You're so rude. You're a bad person already. I can tell. Um, we're literally say it a million times. Every time we are conditioned to be like, how would you ask for that? Like we just keep doing it till they get it because it's that important. And it's that ingrained in most of us. This is the same thing. Now, I'm not saying we have to do that forever, but I am saying it has to be more than once. Like, you can't be like, oh my God, I got the courage to do it this one time. You better remember it, damn you. Like, they're not going to. So we'll expect that we'll have to say, babe, this happened last Tuesday. Remember when you were coming home and you didn't call and I was upset and then we fought last Tuesday night until two in the morning? This is the same exact situation. So last Tuesday... You said la la. So I'm, I'm going back and making a simple request, request that you keep your word and that you do what you say you're going to do. And I'm going, I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to let it slide because it creates so much resentment and I love you and I don't want to resent you. And we, we cannot do this. This is a dysfunctional pattern. Let's figure it out together. It's not me against you. It's you and me against the problem or something like that. This is Jamie. I have a question. So with relationships, do you kind of like, and I don't know if I can pin down exactly how I want to ask this, but I guess my general question is, do you recommend kind of doing it or setting it up in advance or kind of doing it more in the moment? Like I'm trying to sometimes re reflect on, cause we, we do have the same dumb fights over the same dumb shit that like totally is about boundaries. And usually mm -hmm. it's about like the thing I was telling you about this morning. It's like one of us said the other one, mm -hmm. like, yeah, do your thing. And then the other one had to watch the kids and then everyone's pissed. And, but it's like, but I, but you said I could, and then whatever. So like, do you recommend having like some sort of like um, a periodic sit down and like maybe, I don't know, taking like an inventory mm -hmm. of kind of the boundaries and they're taking a little assessment of the state state of affairs? I do actually. And actually I'm giving a gift um, to your listeners. And part of that is going to be an inventory. So it's about um, emotional labor. It's about knowing who's doing what getting really, really clear. And then you can figure out what are your um, repeating conflicts and what are the silent agreements that you have in your relationship? Because we all have them. And I'm really um, a big proponent and teach you in the book that we should have spoken agreements. They're really better. 
because most of the silent agreements are disordered boundary focused (laughs) because we don't want to talk about them because we don't know how. It isn't that we don't want to, but it is hard when you don't have the skills and when you're someone who you just want to be like, listen, it's fine. Everything is fine. Like, do you find yourself having that reframe? Like, I'll complain to one of my friends about something and be like, but of course I'm okay and I'm going to be okay because I'm always okay, you know? And she's like, okay, but that doesn't get you off the hook from having that conversation with Vic or whoever, right? I'm like, oh yeah, good point. Um, So you want to think about that for yourself that doing the emotion, how much emotional labor are you doing? Because that creates a lot of resentment and creating more equity. So yes, James, to go back to your question, doing a periodic, you know, I I always call it the state of the union. And then my friend Esther Perel named a book that, so I stopped calling it that because it sounds like it's about her book, but it's really not because I've been doing it for like 15 years where with, with couples, you just sit down every other week, You're like Friday morning breakfast, you and me, or Vic and I do it in bed on Sunday mornings where we we just start with gratitude of what's gone right, what we appreciate about each other. And then we talk about what could be better. What did we kind of not appreciate that much? Like what? It sounds less confrontational. Like you're not like at each other face to face. You're just relaxed. So maybe, maybe if it's not bed, it's a relaxed position. Yeah, but keep in mind, you're, you're so right. You're actually in a relaxed mind. What we're doing is we're normalizing the more difficult conversations because they're not difficult when you do them every other week and you're like, okay, so where are we crushing it? Where are we winning? Hey, where, where could we use a little work? It's so much less like, I need to talk to you, right? Like, that's not what we're saying. We need to talk. Exactly. Who the hell nobody wants to talk to you ever when you when anyone says we need to talk, how much do you not want to talk to them? Just never want to have that conversation. But do you have any advice for not getting defensive when the other person puts the boundary in place? Like whether it's that person providing that information to you about mm-hmm. what they need or vice versa? Because it sounds to me like, I mean, again, as four type A women, like I I almost feel like, well, I can't speak for everybody. I have less of a problem setting the boundary. I have a very hard time accepting it when it comes my way because I take it as a criticism. Well, yes, I I do have tons of ideas. And I handle this in the book because you guys are my literal demographic because I am you guys. Um, And and really my, my clientele are these, you know, women who are, you know, masters of the universe. And yet there are these struggles around boundaries and talking true and accepting someone else's no, because that is definitely a part of being a boundary boss is being able to see the separateness. So part of it is when you start to really become effective communication wise, you know, when it's your person's turn to say what they're saying, you are not interrupting. Your only job is to mirror them is to say, Hey, if I heard you right, you would really like it if I talk to you first before I make a decision with the nanny or whoever. It, did I get it right? Like there are very simple things. I share them in the book about mirroring, about not making it about you being wrong and and both of you. So when it's your turn to share to say what you're saying, if you have a complaint, something you want to send, so to speak, and this part of it is all based on Harville Hendricks's work, um, you, you say it and the other person, the only thing they can say to you is, well, if I heard you right, then you said, you want me to do this, this, and this, did I get it right? They have to check with you. Then you go, you did. And then they say, is there more? 
So we create expansion in our conversations. We're not so afraid because it's only the child in you who's afraid to be criticized. You are a grown up. You, you are literally a boss. <laughs> so there's a part of you that literally gives no books. What people think there is a part. So in that moment, when we're being so afraid that this person said no, and what does it mean? We're either hurt, we're feeling rejected, then really, I can't wait to start bean counting where we're like, after all I've done for you, you have some friggin' nerve mm-hmm. saying no to me. But if mm-hmm. we want to be really healthy and have relationships with this deep, deep intimacy, we have to really get it. Like, I don't own my husband. Right. I am so blessed to journey with this guy who's so amazing, but I'm so clear in my life that he doesn't work for me. So every single thing he does for me is a favor to me because he does not owe it to me. Right. That, that's not part of the agreement is like you work for me. You don't. But it's like he does because he's so generous. So being clear that your person not wanting to do something And it depends on what the thing is, right? If Vic didn't want to go to my first book signing thing, if I could ever sign books in public again, let's say, and I wanted him to, I I would then negotiate for that need. And I would say, babe, I really want you to be there. This is important to me. And it's kind of hurting my feelings that you don't want to be, which I don't think he would ever do. But let's just say he did. Rather than being like, for, I'm taking my toys and going home. Well, I also can't because we live together. But you know what I mean? That the you want to emotionally <laughs> withdraw in anger. It's like, I'm removing myself. Forget it. You already made the mistake. I'm now going to punish you for that mistake for as long as I possibly can. Great. All dysfunctional reactions to being hurt and all boundary issues. So how do you get better at it? Really, part of it is get really clear. Adult relationships are all voluntary. Nobody has a gun to anyone's head. You can leave at any point. It might cost you some money, but you can. So everything we're doing is voluntary. And your job is to negotiate for what you want instead of being so fragile or tender or thinking that you are, that if they don't think exactly like you think, if they don't intuit the importance of this thing to you, then they're terrible and awful and mean and terrible. That's not what it means, right? That, it, that isn't what it means, but it makes you have to stand up and say, this matters to me. How I feel is important. You're important. I really want you to be there. And that takes courage. But is there also... Sometimes that momentary, then when you go through that, those steps, you do realize that that person is toxic and it is time to cut ties. I, I love your advice on toxic friendships and identifying toxic relationships, because when you've established your boundaries and you've been able to keep them, then there's that moment, right? Where you're like, okay, this is never going to work yep. and it's toxic. You, that that it brings us to the boundary destroyer, an entire chapter on folks who what you learn in the book is all about how to how to make proactive boundary success plans and speak it and do it and take care of yourself. None of that applies. So the rules don't apply to boundary destroyers because they're people who function outside of the rules. So either a mental a mental health issue is one of those. So you have these cluster B personality disorders, narcissistic personality disorder, bipolar can be in there. There's a bunch of different histrionic ones can be there that really um, limit that person's ability to take you in because there are, there are some mental illness, especially with narcissistic personality disorder, where the goal is control 
The goal is getting what they want. They do not care. They cannot care. Most of them don't. They can look like they care. And yet the truth is they are incapable of caring. And so those are the ones, Megan, that you're kind of talking about where you make a decision. Like I've done all the things with this person. They're not changing. They are toxic and they're damaging me. Now, I have all kinds of disclaimers in the book. If you're in any kind of a dangerous situation, any kind of a physically violent situation, you, you know, you, this is, you don't, you do not make, just make a decision to leave. I give you a shit ton of resources of how I have a whole video out right now of how to safely leave an abusive relationship. Go to YouTube. We'll give you the link in the show notes. So clarity, if you're in an abusive situation, do not announce that you're leaving or just leave unless you have a really rock solid plan to do so because it is unsafe. And this is when violence can escalate. I just felt as a therapist compelled to say that. Um, but if you're not in that situation, but you are still dealing with a boundary destroyer, you don't share anything important to you with them. Stop smashing your head against a stone wall. They've already shown you a billion and five times what they're capable of. Stop giving them the ammunition to use against you. So the boundaries we draw is we step way further back from many of these people and give yourself permission to do that. You know, and in the book, I really do walk readers through exactly how to know, am I just dealing with a boundary bully or am I dealing with something deeper, something more? Because from a therapeutic point of view, it's clear to me, but I also wrote it in a way so that a lay person can be like, okay, this is what I'm dealing with, or this is what I'm dealing with. Fabulous. I think that's a really good place for us to wrap. This was magical as always, Terry. To respect your time boundary, Terry, we're going to wrap. Yes. <laughs> and we've, we've actually already good heard one, your, um, the rapid fire question answers in your first episode. Yeah, we've done your, we've done your lightning round. So should we just Next. jump to the... Karma call. Hopefully you have a new updated boundary karma call to refresh your memory tear. Um, karma is a Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our amazing, inspiring guests, what is one actionable item that our listeners could take for the next five days, two weeks, whatever, small action, giant result. What is it? Um, you're going to take the next five days or seven days, and you're going to be super mindful of every time you wanted to, say yes when you really felt no. Every time you avoided a confrontation, even though you needed it, right? Every time you prioritize everyone else in the world, like the mail carrier above what you want, right? Um, and what's the last one? And every time you apologize when you're not sorry. So we'll write those down. You'll have them in the show notes. This is how you can determine if you have the disease to please. So the, which is a boundary killer. So one more time, real quick. Every time you Say yes when you want to say no. Avoid a confrontation at all costs. Um, apologize when, not only when you're not sorry, but when you're mad saying you're sorry and prioritizing everyone else's desires and needs in the world above your own. You're going to write them down every single day. See, in the first few days, you don't even have to try to change anything. Just be mindful. And you're going to start to get a snapshot of how you are living your life and that will give you the perfect place to start to make a shift from a boundary disaster to a boundary boss. Love it. We love you, Terry. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the book. Oh, 
Thank you. Exciting. And you mentioned bonuses for our listeners. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you want to get all the bonuses, you can still, because it drops tomorrow, go to BoundaryBossBook.com. Get all the goods. And on the 27th, if you buy the book, you'll come to the virtual party with lots of really fancy, fun guests. Please come. You'll love it. It's gonna be great. I didn't have a virtual party. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you're doing it right, Terry Cole. <laughs> Never too late, Megan. You can have another one, Megan. I mean, I like a party. I'm not going to lie. I like a party. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you thank everyone you, at home you. for partying with us today. And don't forget to subscribe to Off The Gram everywhere podcasts can be listened to. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off The Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time. 